0: Okay, so the last few weeks we've been talking about, uh, talking to our oikos, and um, last week we played the video, uh, sort of a uh, case study between an analytical person and a Christian. And uh, we played some clips from a documentary called Purple State of Mind. And it was not just an analytical person, but also somebody who had what I call deconverted away from Christianity. And just talking about some strategies for how to engage those kinds of people that are in our oikos. Today, I wanted to uh, play a extended conversation that I had last week that I recorded with my brother... And um, again, he's a member of the LDS church. And I think that what I'm hoping will be useful about this discussion is because in the other conversations, the first two I did last fall with the um, gay Republican and with the Muslim, uh, both of those were sort of situations where I didn't know the person. So I couldn't really go super deep. It was just kind of a get to know you conversation. I wanted to try to show you some possibilities of when you're in a deeper relationship with somebody that holds a different worldview, a different view than you have religiously, uh, maybe how you can begin to go deeper into those more difficult areas. So you're going to see me uh, take some risks today that I haven't taken before with my brother in our conversations. And, and normally, our discussions are like two to three hours because uh, we just really enjoy having that sort of back and forth with each other. This one was about an hour and 40 minutes. And finally, we had to end it because I had to take Abby to youth group. And uh, I don't know how much longer we would have kept going on there. but. Uh, so I've got it cut down to about 35 minutes. And um, I'm going to give you, uh, at the end, some links to a few outtakes that I cut out, if you want to see more of our antics together that you can see on, on YouTube. Um, but my, and there's some moments where, watching it back, there's like one particular moment where I was like, OK, I didn't handle that very well, but I was as I was wrestling through with it with my daughter this week. I said, "Should I cut this part out and save my pride?" <laughs> or should I just let it be out there and and uh, you know everyone else can learn as I'm learning? So I I left it in. So uh, it, you know all right. So there's that. It, Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I and that was the thing Emily told me. She was like, well, then people know that like you're not perfect and maybe that will help them know that like they don't have to be perfect in every conversation. And that, you know, there's some things that I, when I watched it back, I followed up with him later and texted him and I said, you know, I didn't do so well in this part of the conversation or with this question. And so, but I what I want, what I'm hopeful is that you can see that Maybe you'll be able to get something from this about not just the information about us having a back and forth about our differences, but about my way of being and how I use questions as a way to get to deeper places in conversations with people. And that I'm going to be here curious to see if you guys see any family resemblance. Hey everyone, I want to introduce you to a really special man in my life. I think probably next to my husband, this guy has captured my heart more than anyone. And that is my dear brother, Clark. And I want to, yeah, and he's in Texas and I'm in LA and uh, we're just going to have a great conversation here. And one of the things that's really great and fun about our relationship is that we didn't know each other growing up. Uh, We didn't, have a relationship with each other we share a father but we have different mothers we were raised differently we were raised in different uh different churches different streams of the church if you will and so for both of us uh getting to know one another later in life it's been a fun adventure to be able to talk to each other about what each of us believe and and having that interaction. So we, in previous conversations, have kind of settled on our positions just for the sake of clarity because both fall under the umbrella as Christian. So um, I represent the historic Christian position and Clark is representing the LDS position. You've really taught me how to ask Um, better questions and how to think and understand how you guys come at your faith Um, because it is a little different than than how we come at it and I've learned and grown in my appreciation for that and I just am so grateful for all the risks that you've you've taken with me in that and that we've been in that conversation together Um,
1: yeah I'm, I'm always happy it's hopefully
0: important. I've done something to help you too. You're yeah. always a little, you're always a little evasive
1: on that. <laughs> Am I? No, no, I, I think for sure. I think, um, on my end, I, I think I'm just more in the habit of answering those questions. So, um, whereas, uh, it, it might be a unique or more of a unique experience for you to kind of learn something new about, um, LDS, you know, faith it's less of, um, it's less of necessarily a unique experience uh, for me. Because, uh, you know, on my end, in a lot of our conversations probably here, it's, it's a lot of, well, what do you believe? And, you know, justify that? And how do you not not in a challenging way, but it's more trying to get to the bottom of, well, you know, trying
0: to understand really, like, what's the thought train? Because you
1: believe something different. So let's understand, you know, what are your what's the reasoning behind that different, you know, how you come across that differently. So from my perspective, you know, I'm kind of, in a position to do that, I think more often than maybe you, because your your you know probably and I might be making an assumption, but your beliefs probably fall in line. There's there's sort of less of a uniqueness around that, so you're probably put in a position of having to explain or justify why you think the way you do less often than I might be.
0: Wow, that's a big assumption.
1: It, it sure is, and that's why I recognize that <laughs>
0: might.
1: But just going back to your question of, you know, like I'm not necessarily trying to be evasive. I just think that, um, you know, I'm not sure if, um, I'm not sure, because typically I'm not asking a whole, and maybe that's interesting. I think you taught me something there just by asking me that question, to be honest, because I think that that I typically assume that I know what the difference is between our theology is. Mm -hmm. And so I probably assume that I know what you believe and why you believe it and how that differs, but that's a big assumption for me to make. So I think that's a learning for me right there. Yeah, I should probably ask more questions instead of just, okay, throw your questions at me. (laughs)
0: Yeah, and and I think that that's something that I've noticed. I came away from our last conversation noticing. is like, I don't know, you haven't really asked me that many questions about, what will help me understand your side of things and and Mm -hmm. what this is for you. Um, a lot of the conversations have been me trying to ask you questions, right? but I, I, I wonder like, is it that you're just not curious or is it yeah. that you just already well, think you know an, everything or no, no it's uh, probably
1: arrogance, at least it, not everything, but I, I probably have been arrogant to the fact that I think that I, I definitely assumed that, um, I know kind of your, your logic structure around why you believe something. And, and when I say you, I don't necessarily mean you personally. I probably just right. Christians in general. Right. right. Um, or non-LDS, you know, Christians yeah. in general. I think that I do make that generalization. Um that's interesting. Yeah, I haven't thought of that before.
0: <laughs> well, it's it, we're learning together here. That's well, there you what go. it's that's all Clark's that's all.
1: arrogant number one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> one of the points I had made was you know, you taught me that really in order to understand LDS theology, you have, have to understand the concept of a living prophet. Mm-hmm. because for, from what I get, one of the things I've gathered from our conversations is that uh, we don't understand that on our side of the fence and we don't understand that that is a really core belief for, for LDS people. And, and I've found that so helpful. And so insightful, and uh, really trying to just pass that knowledge on to other people, so that when they talk to LDS members, they'll know, like, hey, this is this is a core issue that you probably have not understood about about LDS teaching.
1: Yeah, we we definitely believe, you know, organizationally um, that Christ is at the head of the church, and that He guides and directs His church through a living prophet, and we would compare that to. As he did when he was here through Peter, um, you know Peter bring, being the president of the organized church with Christ leading it and you know Peter James and John would be what we compare to our first presidency as the prophet has two counselors, a first and second counselor we call that the first presidency um, and so you know we compare a lot of the organization to the way Christ organized his church when he was here, you know really as a mirror image of the way our church is organized today so the living prophet is definitely kind of a key cornerstone and figurehead behind that and lends a lot of credence as to why we might think the book of mormon is true because you know if 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 you don't look at joseph smith as being a living prophet or someone receiving revelation you know to to guide the church to restore that i mean that's kind of the the cornerstone of 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 our religion not necessarily our faith but our as as an organized religion that's definitely the the cornerstone of our religion so it's very important
0: in all honesty, Clark, you have really challenged me to go back and rethink some aspects of my faith and challenged me. And there have been many moments in our conversations where I've walked away and I thought, okay, I want to give what Clark is saying, um,
1: a fair shake,
0: a fair, a fair shot. Sure. And it's like, you know, all right. His position is that, Something happened to the Bible that it was corrupted, and that over time the church splitting and growing in corruption, and then the restoration uh, through uh, the Lord's prophet Joseph Smith. Okay, right. that is an interesting and compelling narrative.
1: Right. If you do, like, if you just, if you just look at it on the basis of a story, like and like yeah. a logic sequence, like the on the face of it, it's interesting and it could make sense. Right. It's yes. Validated each point of the of the road. Right?
0: Exactly. And and I can't uh I, I can't say that I've I've been in these conversations and from a totally neutral standpoint, mm-hmm. but I've tried my best to like, okay, I'm gonna try this on. Right. Like if if what you're saying is true, right, and you know, I don't know if you've gone through that process on your side of thinking, okay, if historic Christianity is true, right. how would I think about that? But right. I have spent a time thinking about this. And it's like, all right, if it's, this is true, what would persuade me that this could possibly be true? Right. And I guess that is something that I'm, I am curious about is what persuades you that the LDS church is a more true or more accurate presentation of Jesus's teachings than historic Christianity?
1: So there's a couple of things there and I I challenge myself to be very succinct in answering these questions (laughs) Uh, because I tend to, you know, I'm passionate about it and I've studied a lot about it. So I tend to kind of go on and and I want to, you know, uh, regurgitate all my knowledge, you know, on a topic, but um, there's a natural progression to the questions that you, you know, that, that, you know, we had looked at, and it's hard to answer that one without kind of answering some of the other ones Um, because the reason that we might think it's a, And I think more true may not necessarily be the best term. I think that more complete is a better way to phrase it, at least on our end, because we talk about a restoration of the fullness of the gospel. And that's a phrase that uh, members of the LDS church use a lot because it it does a good job of really succinctly describing what we believe happened and kind of why you know, where our testimony is 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 founded. So if you look at, like, what are some of the major differences we see, um, priesthood authority is a big one, right? So when we look at, well, what did, um, what did Joseph Smith restore? Well, if you accept, you know, for argument's sake, that he was a prophet and that Heavenly Father Jesus Christ appeared before him and called him as a prophet, you know, which isn't necessarily... And uh, kind of an, uh, a crazy thing to think of. I mean, we had prophets, uh, you know, in the Bible, it, right? It's, it, it, yeah, it's it's, a,
0: it's, I yeah. have no problem with that right. in, in theory right. at all. Yeah. So,
1: so if he was called as a prophet, well, that means some things. But one of the things that we believe was restored was the priesthood authority. So if you look at the difference, um, you know, we would say, you know, baptism is a requirement. Uh, Receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost by laying on of hands Those are two required ordinances And those ordinances need to be done with priesthood authority So those are examples Um, So to say, well, why is it more true? um, I would say that we believe that through Joseph Smith And through priesthood authority The fullness of the gospel was restored And there were bits and pieces of the gospel That were lost and have been restored So we don't look at this church as something else um, or a a new religion or a new church at all. We look at it as the same doctrine and principles that were taught from Adam, excuse me, to Christ. And then that same line of authority restored, pardon me, um, through Joseph Smith. Uh, And that's kind of our viewpoint of it. Um, and which
0: explains the confusion that many historic Christians have. Of like, well, why are the LDS people call themselves Christians? Right. It's because you guys see yourselves in that same continuum. Right. And, and so that explains right. why you use that term.
1: Something else would be, um, I, I, and then this might be my fault in our conversations, but I think it's a false premise to say that, because we don't necessarily point to corruptions in the Bible as evidences of that. Falling away, everything in the Book of Mormon and the Bible, the doctrine really supports each other. So there, and I've read them both many, many times, looking for contradictions intentionally because I wasn't going to jump into something, you know, half cocked or you know, just kind of willy nilly. I don't necessarily do those sorts of things in generally. <laughs> and so, um, in trying to find those contradictions, what I did find was that there are a lot of ways where the Book of Mormon expounds on and supports what is taught in the Bible. Um, And there are a few good examples of that. Um, So if you ask me to point to well, where's something that, you know, is a corruption, I think was one of the questions, right? There isn't necessarily, I know that in the Old Testament a few times it said, you know, the Lord repented. And I would point to that as maybe a translational, you know, could things have gotten lost in translations? Well, sure. I mean, things get lost in translation all the time. I don't necessarily believe that that's a, a difficult concept to read through at least me personally, in my mind that, you know, things could have gotten lost in translation, but that's kind of a small part of it. Uh, I mean, there are books that have been lost. Uh, the book of Jasher, right? is referenced in the old Testament. And I think in Samuel and in Kings or Ezekiel, I forget, but I know it's referenced twice, but we don't have that book. I mean, there's a whole book right. that we just don't have. So my brother-in-law wants to start a movement called hashtag. Where's the book of Jasher, you know, <laughs> but I think that's an example. And to your point, I mean, the book of Jasher could talk about celestial marriage. Like it could be all up in the book of Jasher. We just don't know because we don't have it. So I don't think again, that it's, it's out of the range of, um, you know, a reasonable understanding that there are parts of the gospel or certainly, you know, records um, of the gospel teachings and prophets teachings that we simply don't have. And there are a lot of evidences to that. I know first Corinthians um, Paul talks about doing baptisms for the dead because, you know, the church in Corinth was starting to talk about, uh or starting to debate whether or not there was a resurrection and that we would be right. resurrected. And Paul says, well, of course there's a resurrection. You know, if, if, if there's no resurrection, then why are you doing baptisms for the dead? Because there are different types of flesh, you know, one of a fish, one of the animal, he said, there are also different types of celestial bodies or, you know, um, uh, different glories uh, when our bodies are resurrected. One of the celestial one of the terrestrial, one of the telestial. And we don't point to that scripture, and that's why we believe in, you know, the, the spirit world, and then after resurrection, you go to a celestial kingdom, a terrestrial kingdom, and a, and a telestial kingdom. We don't get that doctrine from that scripture in the Bible, but the doc, you know, what it, what's explained in the Book of Mormon as well as in the Doctrine and Covenants, and as far as the plan of salvation and what happens after a resurrected, it falls in line and makes perfect sense with what Paul is talking about. So that's an area where the Bible and the book of Mormon really support and expound on doctrines with each other. And they kind of link in really well. Um, And, you know, that's as far as I can tell, really one of the only places where it talks about different resurrections and uses those terms specifically. So to me, it makes sense that, you know, there could have been other books or other documents or other records and prophets experience and revelations that talked about that doctrine that we just don't have today. So it's it's less that it's corrupted and more that it's incomplete.
0: Okay, I think that what we would say about like the Book of Jasher, <clears throat> for example, is that not that it's been lost, but that it was never seen as scripture, and so that's why it wasn't preserved. And so we would, I would kind of probably nuance that a little differently. Yeah. Um, the historic Christian position has been that the books that were preserved were the ones that were recognized universally by the Jews as being scripture and therefore necessary to be preserved. And so we would say those those mentioned books that were not preserved were, were never viewed as scripture. So they weren't lost. They just weren't ever seen by the Jews as being scripture because our canon and the Jewish canon are the same, the right. same thing They they match. So uh, we didn't make any alterations to what the Jews already recognized as being scripture. Um, so I think that would be a, a difference because the, the idea that um, something was lost would be pretty um, that would be pretty disturbing for, for Christians to, to think that there was some revelation that God intended to be saved, but that God's people didn't recognize that, and so they didn't preserve it, and then it was lost. I don't know, do you want
1: to respond to that? Or Yeah, absolutely. I, I would respond by saying um, if that was true, then all the more need for a restoration. Big assumption. If that was Yeah, but true. that
0: assumes that something's been lost.
1: Yeah. Right? I, I would say I would point to some scriptural evidence that an, an apostasy was foretold. Um you, you know, I mean I know in, in Acts um, or Amos I could pull it up. But um, you know, I know that you know there would be, you know, it was foretold in Isaiah and um you know a lot of places that you know there would be a falling away. Um
0: but don't you think that could be a big <laughs> assumption that you're making that that there's been something that's lost. I mean, that that seems like to me to be a fairly large assumption. Now, I agree with you <laughs> that if that assumption is true, then certain things could follow from that. And I absolutely agree that some of your thoughts there seem seem very reasonable to me. But I guess I'm just not prepared to make that assumption that yeah. something's been lost. To me, that's something that has to be
1: proven. Agreed. Yeah. So that's a good segue. So what I would say to that is um, me saying it's lost is really only half the story, right? Because if we talk about just, you know, from a scientific uh, aspect, you know, the scientific method, you come up with a theory and then you test the theory, right? So me saying that there are things that have been lost from the Bible is really just me coming up with a theory or saying an assumption or an argument. What helps me solidify my belief in that really is looking at the evidence and the evidence that I can look at (coughs) is the restoration. So it's Joseph Smith, um, the story of the restoration, the story of the first vision, you know, Christ and uh, heavenly father appearing to him. Um, and through him translating a record of prophets teachings in the Americas, uh, that being the book of Mormon. So, um, it's a big, if, And I would say that the if is is supported by me testing the theory. And the way that I have tested the theory is by studying, searching, pondering, and praying about the Book of Mormon, comparing it, researching it, and and really testing the Book of Mormon. That's why Joe Smith said that it's the keystone of our religion and everything, you know, without it, the whole thing would crumble. He's absolutely right, because if he didn't have that as evidence for a completely, I mean, I never knew Joseph Smith. I'm an independent person that took a book and was invited to I was challenged and invited to test it, to, to try to prove it wrong, to to go after it, to, to read it, to understand it and to ponder it and internalize it and to see if it is something that I believe to be true. And because I've done that and I believe it to be true, then that helps that test testing. That helps the assumption of, well, if I believe that's true, then I believe the restoration was true. And if I believe the restoration was true, then logically there was a need for a restoration. Going back to your point is, Hey, if things were lost, that's kind of a scary concept. Then where is the fullness? Right. And, and what I was, the point I was making before was another evidence to that from an interpretation perspective is another evidence for me is that there are so many different denominations and sects with different interpret, interpretations of doctrine that, naturally there there were some things that were lost or at least had room for man's interpretation enough to become distorted
0: so now to your second point about the divisiveness among protestants and the lack of central authority in the historic christian faith i have to tell you quite candidly when you first brought that up in one of our very first conversations it really that was a difficult moment for me because I was like, okay, I've never thought about this really as being a problem mm-hmm. before. And so I, I've had to, to go back and, and think about that to some degree. And um, actually what it's ended up doing is pushing me further into a certain stream of Christianity, of, of orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. And I've actually been investigating orthodoxy more and more because you raised this question, mm-hmm. and I think it's a very interesting question because it's it's a very similar question that my Orthodox friends raise,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um, I, I don't know how familiar you are with church history, but um, the Orthodox are kind of the eastern branch of Christianity, and Uh, they claim an unbroken line of succession all the way back to the apostles. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And um, in the West, uh, the the East and the West were together for the first thousand years of the church. And then the West broke away in around 1066 or so. And um, the the West went on to have, its own kind of distinctive flavors. And Protestantism is actually an outworking of the West. And so Catholicism is really just Western Christianity and Orthodoxy is Eastern Christianity. Okay. And then Protestantism, so when I'm talking about Protestants, I'm talking about Baptists, Methodists, Pentecostals, mm-hmm. right. all of those lovely people in Texas there. Right. Uh, but I
1: would think of Christians that are not, Orthodox or Catholic? Yes. Yeah.
0: All the yeah.
1: Rest. yeah.
0: Yeah. All the rest are Protestants. Or if they're or not. Mormon. Or yeah. Or so,
1: Mormons. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get it slumped in there.
0: <laughs> so there's so when you're talking about the divisiveness and you know there were all of these corruptions that entered in, um, you know that's something that really doesn't happen until the 1500s, and that there was wide. Um, agreement uh, universally in the church east and west and it's really with martin luther that we start getting certain distinctives and in some cases quite honestly i think you have to be careful about emphasizing this issue of how diverse protestants are i think that sometimes you overstate that because you don't understand what the distinctive features are of all of those those denominations is what we call
1: them yeah.
0: i think I, you have to be careful about that
1: yeah i guess i would point to i would simplify it a little bit more because i think you're right like when i say that i don't assume that um i don't assume authority in a claim in the sense that well i know what you guys think and i know that you're you know so vastly different i think of it in more simplistic terms of well do some Branches of Christianity believe that baptism is required, and do some not? Do some believe that baptism is required by immersion, and do some not? Do some believe in the Trinity, and do some not? I know no, that's,
0: that's no. You cannot be a Christian if you don't believe in the Trinity. So there, that would be the answer to that: is if they don't believe in the Trinity, they're not a Christian, categorically. Okay.
1: okay, then I guess I'm not a Christian.
0: Well, and this is, I think, this is the major difference between us: is mm-hmm. that. For historic Christianity, the very definition Mm -hmm. of what is a Christian revolves around the Trinity.
1: Yeah. So I I guess the group of Christians that I met the other night weren't Christians either because they they claim to be Protestants, but they also said that they did not believe in the Trinity.
0: I don't know who these people were that you talked to the other night. I don't know if they're some heretical sect, but I can (laughs) tell you unequivocally that the definition of historic Christianity is revolves around and centers on our notion of the Trinity. That is the key distinguishing feature. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, uh, some people are not educated about this issue. You know, the question of how well we educate people in in our churches is is a different question entirely.
1: That's interesting to me because I didn't necessarily realize that a Protestant church, A, and Protestant Church B with differing, let's from your using your language like a lesser doctrine, right? Yeah. Like lesser doctrinal differences. W- with those differences, I didn't realize that Protestant Church A and Protestant Church B still looked at each other as being part of the same church. Yes. Yeah, I not see that. That's a concept that was foreign to me.
0: Now, all Protestant churches have the common core. Of Their doctrine, and they would consider themselves if you believe in the Trinity and you believe in the atonement of christ and and that Jesus is both God and man, and some fundamentals of what mm-hmm. was set up in the church in the first five hundred years, you are a Christian right. now we can have some slight disagreements about how we baptize or you know this sort of thing, but you know whether we raise hands or use drums or whether we uh uh you know we can have all of these other interesting conversations but Mm -hmm. but there is a core core,
1: right the core
0: has been there from the beginning yeah and that there is an unbroken um succession of doctrine from that core yeah and and so whether you're a baptist or a methodist or a pentecostal or a catholic or orthodox there is that that core that is what makes you a Christian.
1: So so that's helpful. A- and it goes back to evidences because, and this is why I started going down the path of I, se- I have to separate my brain, because it's not just the assumption of saying, hey, let me look at the Bible and let me point out things that were lost that gives me an evidence that it doesn't have the fullness. Because the truth is, there's a lot of things that are contained in the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants that support and back to my this example right that support and expound upon what is in the bible that it makes a lot of sense it's an unfair statement to say well how are you making your assumption based on you know this where i can show you is that it's well that's that's only half the story right the other half is i'm using so many other pieces of of example that really solidify that experience and that testimony that well it's less that the bible is untrue because I don't believe the Bible is untrue. It's less that there are problems in the Bible and more that I believe that the Book of Mormon is true.
0: So, could we say that your view is that the Bible is incomplete?
1: Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay, so then if I understand the argument, then I couldn't arrive at LDS doctrine without the Book of Mormon.
1: Oh, no. Again, that's why Joe Smith said. It's the the cornerstone of our religion. Without it, poof. Okay.
0: So then I guess just, you know, you've said in this conversation, and you've said this in the past too, like from your logical standpoint to make sense, it has to look like this. From my logical standpoint, what you're suggesting is that there were key doctrines that Jesus wanted us to know, but that the apostles didn't write down. Because we have an unbroken manuscript record that that goes deep in time. And it's there's not the evidence of corruption that would have to be there in order to say, hey, some things were lost.
1: Yeah.
0: And then so then what you're arguing is that the apostles never wrote it down.
1: Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. Okay. Mm-hmm. What I would argue is, and I'd have to, and admittedly I'd have to do more research and and I've always wanted to, I just don't necessarily, you know, well, I don't want to make an excuse. It's, a, it's, I, a, it's all I good. Do the research. But, um, you know, I don't necessarily know because I'm not a biblical historian. I don't necessarily know at what dates, all the different, um, there's a few good talks that I've read that I don't want to necessarily quote because um, I haven't memorized the facts, but the impression that I got was, you know, there are certain books that were the versions of them that we have now were kind of released or, you know, put in even after like Mark was dead and John was dead and things like that. So I would argue that we may not necessarily have every piece of paper that the apostles wrote preserved. Not necessarily that, you know, you know, they didn't, you know, because for me to make the, or for you to say, well, I'm making the argument that the apostles just chose not to write down Important parts of the gospel that Jesus wanted them to. For that to be true, we'd have to say, well, we have every piece of parchment that the apostle every, every document the apostles ever wrote.
0: So your argument is that something was lost, yeah. something that the apostles wrote
1: absolutely
0: was lost. Right. So that strikes me as because right. I have looked into these matters. I mean, I spent nine years in seminary studying these things and looking at the primary resources and. That argument would be more compelling for me if I could find documentation for something being lost. The problem is, is that there's actually the opposite documentation, where you have the universal teaching of the church from the beginning. And if if something had been lost, we would kind of expect, I would think we would expect there to be inconsistencies in Christianity and where some churches have this revelation and then they have, some churches have other pieces of revelation and some churches revelation is more complete than other churches. But the picture that we actually have is that as the gospel went out, all churches everywhere were, were believing the same doctrine. And so that's, that's well, then, what I'm stumbling over.
1: Well, then, what's the point of all the books that Paul wrote to the church in Galatians and the church, the Corinthians? I mean, a lot of his his epistles were saying, "Hey, you guys are doing like stupid stuff. Stop it. <laughs> like, let me let me correct your 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 thoughts of the. You know, I mean that in and of itself. Like, those epistles are records, or is evidenced, at least from my perspective that over time people can, you know, their their interpret interpolations and interpretations of doctrine can change and they can start to veer off course. And that's the importance and significance of priesthood authority and prophets to say, "Hey, no, 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 like." bring it back. This is, you know, there is a resurrection. There is this, you know, the second thing, a point I would make is you're not going to prove that a restoration happened by researching historical Christianity or the records, because I also don't think that somewhere along the way, a historical Christian scholar or someone maintaining the document said, Oh, you know, I left this out or, Oh, we had this originally, but we chose not to do it for X, Y, and Z right back to hashtag where's the book of Jasher. Like we don't know what's in there. And that's just one that was referenced. Like what are the other books that weren't included and why weren't they included and what was contained in them? We'll never know that. If I knew that, a, and this is the best way to make a very simple analogy, oversimplified recognize, but if I had the best chocolate chip cookie, cause I'm a huge cookie guy, if I had the best chocolate chip cookie in the world, right? Let's say that cookie's the gospel. And then I look at a, 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 uh, you can tell how much I cook, a recipe, a list of ingredients. My wife's right there. So if I get a, a list of ingredients, right, I'm not going to tell what's necessarily missing from that list of ingredients by studying that list of ingredients. Because if, if, if salt's supposed to be in there and it's not on that list, no matter how many times I read that list, I'm not going to know that salt was supposed to be in there and it isn't. But if another recipe comes along and it's got salt in there and I try it, and that cookie, oh, that's the cookie. That's the one that I had before. That's the one, and I try that, and it's a better cookie. Then that's evidence of, oh, okay, now I can tell, hey, do I need salt or don't I? Because Yeah, that's a, good,
0: yeah that's a good analogy, and I, I see your point. That strikes me as being some form of a logical fallacy, but I don't know which one. But okay. I have to think about it. Figure but, it out. Let me know. Yeah, uh, but I think this has really been a useful conversation, because. I feel like we're getting closer to really understanding, um, you know, just differences on our views of the scriptures and and the nature of revelation. I found this just really interesting and and extremely useful for me.
1: Well, I don't know how you feel about it. To your point at the beginning, I learned a ton today. Not only introspectively to, you know, stop assuming that I might know how you come across things, but I learned a ton of stuff about historic Christianity that I didn't necessarily know before. So this has been really eye opening for me just in how you kind of view yourselves internally, um, you know, as you know, from an organizational perspective, uh, I think some of the divisiveness that I thought was there isn't uh, from an organizational perspective. Like it was, yeah. it was edifying for me to know that, you know, Protestant church A and Protestant church B didn't necessarily think of themselves as different churches. I didn't know that at all. No,
0: they, yeah. they think of themselves as the same, virtually yeah. the same.
1: Yeah. I also didn't know that Orthodox, you know, has that laying on hands priesthood authority i don't know what to agree they do so i'd be interested in talking to someone from there to truly try to fully understand that yeah um, and then kind of trace that back this has been this has been really good for me
0: and i I just want to encourage you that there's there's some statements that you've made and and you've helped me so much in sharpening how i see LDS people because i don't want to make statements about your theology that just aren't true yeah
1: sure. i
0: I really don't and and i don't say i always want to to, I'm always admonishing my friends, look, you're, you're talking about LDS people in a way that they don't like. Mm-hmm. They don't believe that, and I, I'm constantly trying to help other people get sharper in that area. Yeah. So I've, I've really appreciated that, that correction. And um, I think that it's important to let you be the expert in your religion. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that. I don't want to be more of an expert in telling you what you believe when you've spent so much time and effort studying the scriptures and being an expert in your own religion, totally want to give you space to do that. But I have to tell you that I'm just kind of inviting you to continue in, in, in our engagements to kind of let me be the, the expert in historic Christianity.
1: Yeah.
0: And you know, when I tell you like, well, that's not how we see it or, you know, whatever that that's, that's, um, it's a risk for me to tell you that okay? because I, I don't want to alienate you, oh. but there's some things that you believe about what we believe that just are factually not accurate.
1: No, and that's good. So, so, so let me respond to that by saying two things. One, I, it's not my intention or my desire to to um, continue with a belief that's not accurate, right? So I invite you to two things. One, if I say something that isn't accurate, uh, let me know and i typically i I have a perception that I'm good at this, which is you know you say something that's not true, oh okay, well, you know what is the truth, and I'll accept that and to in your words, let you be the expert. If I don't do that, call me out on it, and I'll be totally fine with that <laughs> I really will because I, I don't want to keep you know going on it and, and I can't thief. I can't think of an example at least in this conversation, and if you felt that way, let me know because I don't want you to feel that way. Yeah. I can't think of an example where I've necessarily you know you've corrected me, I've said, oh no, uh, I think you're still wrong. I, I don't necessarily want to have that type of, of <laughs> yeah. um, outlook on it. So let me yeah. know if I do and, and I'll adjust immediately. Yeah, it's all good. And yeah. another thing, you can edit this out, but yeah, um, don't ever feel like you have a fear. I appreciate you telling me that's a risk, but don't ever feel like you have a fear of alienating me based on you know something that might be uncovered in these conversations because this is definitely a safe space for our relationship. And,
0: yeah, and I, I want that for you too. And I think that both of us are – we've sewn into that pretty well with each other. Yeah. And I, I I don't also want this to become the focus of our relationship because I don't want it to be like just some sort of freak show where we, you know, talk about our differences. I, as much as I enjoy the verbal no, jujitsu. But, but if it becomes but,
1: one, we, maybe we take it on the road. We, yes. <laughs>
0: and, you know, those are all things that I haven't, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt on to, to see. And so this Who is, with, yeah, and yeah. so this is a, this is a uh, this is good because it illustrates how sometimes we have to get outside help, which is one of the concepts we've talked about is when somebody has an, an argument that we think, gosh, I don't really know how to respond to that we have to go get some some outside help and that's okay but hopefully I mean was this useful just listening to us have this little repartee of <laughs> talking to each other I, I hope that you you enjoyed. It, I, I think you can see how we're a little bit alike, mm-hmm. uh, that we're both pretty analytical, um, but we're both very much wanting to preserve our relationship, too. Mm-hmm. We're not into this for the sense of, hey, let's destroy our relationship over it. And uh, I think that you saw in the last few seconds there, um, pretty candid uh, uh, yeah, view of, of us being ourselves there. So... Well, it's, I think it's actually a pretty good argument. Yeah. But, but, but we see ourselves as being, but we see ourselves as being somewhat of a corrective for Judaism as a fuller revelation. And so I think that we have to be uh, somewhat gracious about the position because at the beginning when I said you know I'm, I'm not against the idea that you know there's more revelation because after all I think we are in that position to some degree and that we are making the claim that we are the fuller revelation of Judaism and so we don't want to make take the position that there can be no more revelation necessarily but I'm so I'm at least hypothetically open to this idea, because my religion is in that position to some degree. And so I think that I'm willing to be gracious with him about that. But uh, at the same time, it's it again to me, it comes down to this question of how could I know that this is true? Like what would be my verification? to really know that. And there's still many questions we haven't explored yet. And there was a lot of scary moments in that conversation for me. A lot of risks that I took. But hopefully you got something out of it. So let's pray. We're over time and and we'll go from there. Father, I just thank you for uh, bringing Clark into my life and how he's grown me and stretched me in my own faith. And he's pushed me to um, let go of what I thought I knew about LDS people. And he's pushed me to um, let go of my own uh, pride and my need to be right about my religion because there was something so valuable at, at stake in our relationship that I just want to stay in relationship with him. And for all that you've used him to teach me, about evangelism and about um how to listen to you in a conversation and how to just go where you want to go and bringing up certain points and lord i just thank you for the, all of the things that you've used clark in my life to, to teach me and lord i know that you're at work in his life and i know that that's a story that's still being written And I'm also humble enough to know that uh, you alone know the state of his heart. And I thank you for what you're doing in each of our lives and how you are already at work in him and in me and and bringing us together and uh, hopefully bringing us together in you. So thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.